You're listening to the Traveling Music Therapist podcast. In this podcast, I travel around and chat to other people about music, health, and well being, and other things that I find interesting. In this episode, I have a chat to master piano technician Paul Tunzi. I hope you enjoy. podcast. Today I am in Perth visiting um, family and friends um, as well as I just recently got back from a trip in Bali. So I'm spending about five days here in Perth and um, today I have the pleasure of having a chat to Paul Tunzi. Welcome. Hi. So Paul is a master piano technician and technical conservator. Correct. Yes. That's a, that's a mouthful. It is. It's a very impressive title, though, but you've definitely earned it. Thank you. Mm. Um, could you just tell our listeners, what's the difference? I'm sure people at home, if they're not pianists, they probably won't know the difference between a piano tuner and a piano technician. Could you just explain what the difference is? Mm. It's the same thing, <laughs> essentially, in two different okay. ways of saying yep. it. A piano mm. tuner is tuning the piano, so that's a, an adjustment of um, string tension and frequency, which gives you pitch. Mm. Uh, so that tunes a piano. A piano technician could be someone who actually makes the piano sound. Mm. So each note of a piano has approximately 150 parts per note times 88. Mm. So more than just tuning the piano, as a technician, you're making all those parts come together and work properly. So it sounds good. Mm, yes. And so when back in the day when I was playing piano pretty seriously, um, Paul was taking care of the pianos that I was practicing on at home. And at one point, we needed to replace the hammers. Mm. Where did we get the hammers from? We got those from Japan. From Japan, yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know how long you took, but you reshaped mm-hmm. all the hammers mm-hmm. so they would fit in really nicely mm-hmm. and sound mm-hmm. so great. <laughs> it sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm still playing, well, the, still, the same piano is still here at my parents' house. And we just got you to tune them. I can't remember the last time we had them tuned, actually. I can't remember either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long. Um, and so how were they today? <laughs> um, irritable, is it? Irritable. Is, they needed some TLC. Yeah, yeah. What would you recommend um, for people to... Um, uh, how often would you recommend for people to have their pianos tuned? Hmm. It's a really difficult question to answer. Mm-hmm. Technically speaking, manufacturers will say with each seasonal change. So if you have uh, in an area where there's four distinct seasonal changes... Yep because it's environment and climate that will affect the tuning of the piano because of its organic nature, mm-hmm. more in most cases than playing. Okay. Western Australia or Perth doesn't really just have four distinct seasonal changes. Mm-hmm. So um, I, would about, I would say about every nine months on average. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twelve months is ideal, yep. if you can't. Um, and regular is more important. Piano develops memory. So mm-hmm. the longer it's out of tune or left out of tune, when you do go then to tune or service a piano, it wants to go back to mm-hmm. its longest memory. Yeah. So that's why regular tuning is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think um, you know, most people realise that, mm-hmm. especially if you just have, you know, your family piano at home, which is which might be like an upright piano. I know so many of my clients that I go um, to see and they've had their... That I don't think they realise that you need to tune a piano mm. because it sounds, you know, un, to the 
untrained ear. Mm. It sounds pretty okay. Mm. And I went over to one of my clients' houses and they were a completely new client. And they were like, oh, you can use our piano. They were so excited. And I played one chord and I just went, oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, it was literally like nails on a chalkboard for me. But I think, um, yeah, to the untrained ear, it just sounds fine. Um, Please don't ask me when I've tuned my own piano last Oh, <laughs> do you know what? I wasn't going to, <laughs> now that you've brought it up. It's kind of like when doctors, some of my doctor friends, I love them, but they're probably the most unhealthy people. Mm. you got to practice what you preach. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. Yeah, no, it doesn't often happen. If you're in Australia or if, if you're in WA and own a nice piano, you would definitely know Paul Tunzi. You're very well known um, amongst our um, community here in Perth, but as well, you know, just nationwide. Where's the furthest place that you've travelled to to tune a piano or take care of a piano? Ah, good question. I know um, you went overseas like a few times mm. specifically to tune pianos. Uh, England. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. And how did you build those connections over there? This is born out of not so much wanting to go out to the big wide world and tune pianos. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, there's people who are more than adequate in these areas to tune those pianos. Mm -hmm. Uh, My... Wonderlust, Wanderlust, is mm-hmm. it Wonder or Wonder? Wonder. Uh, at the, uh, for the last 10 years has been driven by more so uh, finding connections mm-hmm. and community to establish um, ways that we can actually preserve the craft of piano tuning and piano technicians. Yes. So yeah. my reasons for going there wasn't necessarily to tune pianos, mm-hmm. but to establish contacts. Yes. Yeah, so we were having, um, so I had lunch with Paul the other day and he was telling me all about his um, research, I suppose, your interest in finding out about that specific reasons behind why piano technicians are kind of dying out. Yeah, we really don't meet enough people, qualified or well-qualified people in Australia. How many people would you say there are in Australia that you would call piano technicians? I can't answer that. Mm. I should know that because there is an association of Australian piano technicians okay. yeah, and yeah. I should know that answer and I'm ashamed <laughs> to say that I don't. What about in Perth? In Perth, yeah. we would probably have on average around 30 technicians. 30. The Did more difficult mm-hmm. uh, answer would be the age of those oh. 30 technicians and the yes. age of the technicians over east of Australia and the age of technicians that I've now met around Europe and Europe uh, and UK. Mm-hmm which unfortunately would be the uh, other side of 60 and 70. Yes. Would make up near on 80% of those technicians. Yeah. So, I mean, in the next 20 years or so. Well, it's probably um, more so than the next five to 10 years. Really? Mm. Oh, I suppose, yeah, they won't be able to be working. But, yeah, they... And even they've got all this knowledge, but they really don't have people to pass that knowledge on to as well. In your travels, Mm. what have you found is the most... The biggest reason why people aren't going into this profession mm. anymore. 
if I could answer that in a, in a statement or in a <laughs> sentence, um, my research would be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm working on this mm-hmm. as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be able to give a better answer to that, hopefully, when I finish my thesis in another 12 months. Yes, which is very exciting. You've gone um, back to study. I've gone back to study. <laughs> it's, a, it's a complex problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's complex, it's very difficult to give a very clear and straightforward answer as to why the paucity of piano technicians has now come to be. Mm. Essentially, if I was to put it in a small nutshell, mm-hmm. we're a service craft. Mm-hmm. So our job is to service your instruments to make you sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think more so a good concert technician's a servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, our one and only job is to prepare an instrument to allow you to perform to your best capability. Yeah. And we like sound people. If you go to a concert, people don't complain about sound mm-hmm. if it's good. Yeah. If it's bad sound, it's usually the first thing they'll talk about when they leave that concert. So a good sound engineer is secret. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the shadows, yeah. uh, and he's he or she has done their job when no one's noticed it. So it's a little bit the same with piano technicians. Our job is to be behind the scenes and, to a certain extent, secret. If I can say why our own trade um, has got to this thing, it's, I think, because we are learners. We work for ourselves a lot, predominantly by ourselves, mm-hmm. which makes us secretive. Uh, in the past, we've had to work hard to learn, and that's come at a cost. And so the older technicians now in the past have felt, well, this is what I've had to do, and if you want to learn, you're going to have to do the same. Mm-hmm. And those opportunities just don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. you were saying that there previously was a school in Melbourne. Yes. But aside from that, there really wasn't anything in the Southern Hemisphere, was there? To my knowledge... At the time of this recording, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no recognised uh, venue, college or school, mm-hmm. to train as a piano tuner technician in all of the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. To my knowledge, at the time of this recording, there is no uh, recognised college left in all of UK. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be dozens, many, many dozens in, in America and throughout Europe. And uh, that's whittling down to well under one dozen internationally. Wow, really? Yeah. And where are they situated? Are they kind of spread across? There's notable exceptions. Um, Japan, um, where you actually went and had an interview, I think, with Yamaha, still has one of the most recognised current um, venues to learn how to be a piano technician. Uh, it's not easy, and it's definitely not affordable for most people. Um, Amsterdam, Germany, uh, there's still, I think, a few, if not two, maybe. I'm not certain of my fact they're in figures in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're diminishing quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, previous to my work as or finding my career as a music therapist i was seriously considering becoming a piano technician mm. and so that's why i got to know paul um quite well i was following you around to a few of your clients homes um and learning more about piano tuning and um taking care of a piano um, before i 
you know, fully committed to do one of these courses. And at the time, there was the one in Melbourne that mm-hmm. I think had just started, but this was maybe in like 2011, 12-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that school then, and which I, I did go um, meet up with the guy in Melbourne. I've forgotten his name. Mr. Brent Otley. Yes, Brent Otley. So, I, um, yeah, I did go say hello um, just to check out check it out there. And I did also go to the Yamaha um school in Hamamatsu, uh, right near Tokyo. And I always remember playing that in in Hamamatsu there's that crystal piano there. It's beautiful. That sound is amazing. It's um yeah, it's just so resonant. It's so different to a traditional piano. Have you or who tunes that piano? I suppose there'd be people there. Does it get used much? Uh, in their display area in their technical academy mm-hmm. I saw that piano and they had another bestoke um, art series instrument that they made mm-hmm. I, th- I think the academy themselves in other mm-hmm. words the staff the lecturers and the students look after their own instruments there. yeah yeah mm. fair enough, fair enough. Um, okay so I wanted to ask you how did you find this career how did you um, decide to want to mm. become a piano technician mm. I was a naughty 10-year-old boy. (laughs) Um, I was fascinated with pulling things apart like a lot of naughty 10-year-old boys. Mm -hmm. And I was doing piano lessons. And the teacher reported to my mum that uh, my technique was maybe being impaired by possibly a piano that wasn't working properly at home. So it might be a good idea to have a piano tuner to come out and have a look. Mm -hmm. So, dutifully, Mum, who inherited this piano from her mum, um, called out the technician, the local technician, who came out and pulled the piano apart in front of me, and I was uh, completely intrigued by what he was doing, and I watched him pull it apart. He did a sermonette to my mother about how the piano needed to be restored, uh, and uh, which in turn she did, and she had the piano completely restored by the same gentleman. But as a naughty 10-year-old boy, I was so fascinated by this instrument and uh, how it worked and the bones of it. So when, uh, when he left, Mum went into the kitchen to keep, cook the evening meal and I proceeded behind uh, quietly to pull the piano apart, <laughs> uh, which I did successfully. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't successful in putting it back together again. <laughs> so when uh, Mum came into the room to see the piano, her loved piano pulled to pieces uh, in a mess... She was a teacher, so with that teacher mindset, she had a choice of telling me off, which I did. (laughs) I can't remember, but I'm sure she told me off. Um, But she had a choice. She could either call the piano technician to come back and clean up the mess that I made and put it back together, or arrange for me to go to his workshop after school every week Mm. to learn how to put it back together. Wow. (laughs) Uh, And that birthed the, the passion. Uh, very unusual to be 10 years old and fulfill what you thought you'd like to do. Yeah. This yeah. same man introduced me to the one venue in Western Australia that still took on apprentices mm-hmm. um, in Netherlands at the time. And they took an apprentice every five years. Uh-huh. My first job interview was when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you have to be legally 16 to work. Yeah. And so the moment I turned 16, I started working as a piano and apprentice piano technician. That's amazing. And here I am 42 years later, <laughs> which makes me 
26. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> wow, 10 years old. That's amazing mm. to find your career that young. Mm. Were, there any, um, were there any points in your journey that you thought, oh, I should give this up or this mm. is too hard or did you get to any kind of points like that? Not when I was younger. Mm-hmm. More so lately. Yeah. Lately in the last, say, 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. uh, the challenges uh, presented to our craft uh, because of the diminishing uh, avenues for opportunities for people to learn. My passion is to try and replicate myself um, and try and offer the opportunities to the next generation that I was given in the world's most remote city that's never built a piano or made a piano. So Sydney and Melbourne both had piano industry where they used to build pianos. Western Australia's never built a piano. Yeah. So I count myself very, very lucky and very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time and nurtured by the right people, mothers and teachers and, parents and other people, who positioned me to have the opportunity that I was then given. Mm-hmm. Where it's got difficult is the lack of avenues and opportunities now to learn, it's now very uh, problematic. It's expensive mm-hmm. if you want to learn. We are not a recognised trade by the government, so we've never existed to oh, the government. Yeah. To which case there's no official apprenticeship, there's no uh, scholarships or training packages. So if you want to learn like you did, mm-hmm. as you discovered, <laughs> you would have to actually pay for that learning yourself. Yeah. And it's a significant amount of money now if you yeah. want to go overseas yeah, to study as a piano technician. that it's roughly around 100000 it's going to cost you close to that amount of money. Ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> Hence, that started my passion mm-hmm. to try and find a solution yes. and to offer the next generation uh, opportunities that I was offered. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to compromise. Mm. Uh, the opportunities doesn't exist anymore. To my knowledge, at the point of this uh, recording, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, and I could be very wrong here, there's not an apprentice in Australia. Mm. Now, I use the word apprentice loosely. I'm not saying an official apprenticeship. But there's, to my knowledge, no one training. There could be over East that I don't know, but I know in Western Australia, definitely not Mm. at the current time we're recording. Yeah, yeah. Um, When we had lunch the other day, you were Mm. telling me this pretty amazing story about a group of women from Poland. Mm. Mm. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about how you met them? I'll give you the context first. So uh, in 2017, I received a Churchill Fellowship, and that was to go to Europe for three months to research the care and preservation of historical keyboard instruments. What that really meant, again, was to try and fulfil the passion that I have, this how does Europe look after their instruments, by who and who is going to look after it in another 10 years' time, 20, 40, 50 years' time. That's what I was looking for. Um, I didn't receive the answers I wanted, uh, only to find out that most of Europe, with notable exceptions, and UK are in the same challenge that we are currently in Australia, with the paucity of technicians and ageing technicians and the lack of avenues for teaching or learning. The persons, or the, a young woman that impressed on me the most, I met in a workshop, in a harpsichord builder's workshop just out of Siena utterly gorgeous Mm -hmm. Uh, and she tells me her story because I asked how is it that you're here learning how to be a harpsichord builder Mm -hmm. builder of harpsichords 
in a nutshell, again, she and along with uh, some friends of hers uh, had finished a performance degree in Warsaw Conservatorium of Harpsichord Performance on an instrument that was falling to pieces under their fingers with no one to fix it, no one to prepare it and no one to maintain it. So when they finished their performance degree, they decided to take the job on themselves. And this is actually what we would call a traditional journeyman experience. Mm -hmm. Traditional crafts and skills in some cases were learnt by this method. And journeyman would mean that you would actually earn enough money then to go to X, Y and Z or a place to then learn from a person at your own expense and travel a lot to learn as much as you can from as many people as you possibly can. These young women have actually rebirthed this concept of a journeyman. So what she does is travel to Italy and stays there for three months. She then returns to Warsaw and her other friends will go to other different venues around the world and learn what they can. And then they collaborate their knowledge when they get together, share and teach each other uh, that knowledge. My prediction is this fire in the belly, this traditional method of wanting to learn something at your own expense and doing a journeyman experience will result in potentially the best harpsichords in the future coming out of Poland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From this workshop of young women. Mm. How many did you say there were? About six? I think there was about six. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's really amazing that they've mm. just take it on, taken yeah. on themselves to yeah. go and travel. Yeah. and Yeah, they must really have a passion for it, but also... For them to have a performance degree mm. <laughs> in harpsichord, mm. and yeah, harpsichords—it's so um, difficult to find a nice harpsichord here that you know that just belongs to somebody. Mm. You know, and that's mm. not in a museum or mm. anything like that. How many are there? Many harpsichords in WA. Mm. I'm proud to say, as Perth born and bred, that Western Australia in Perth <laughs> has. Um, some some important flags to fly and that we can brag about, mm -hmm. if, I, if I may. Yes, of course. So we have, uh, when I started as a concert technician, and what I mean by concert technician is someone who's gone from piano tuner technician to someone who prepares for performances and concerts. Traditionally, this is usually around 30 years experience mm -hmm. uh, before you get to that position. Yeah. When I started as a concert technician, with the exception of Perth Concert Hall, it was very difficult in Perth um, venues, halls, schools, colleges and universities to find a good quality performance instrument outside mm -hmm. Perth Concert Hall. Yeah. Now, um, Perth is labelled by the likes of Angela Hewitt when she's travelled to Australia as the best performance instrument she has found. That's amazing. Perth. <laughs> this now also applies to historical instruments. Mm -hmm. So um, we are about to receive yet another replica instrument. What I mean by a replica instrument, so be it a harpsichord or a forte piano. Forte piano is something that's built in the late 1700s, early 1900s, and it doesn't have iron in the frame and it doesn't have a big fat hammerhead like we have in a modern piano. Right. So it's a lot more delicate. Mm -hmm. Think of the instrument that Haydn, Mozart and Beethoven originally performed yeah. and composed on. Perth is about to now receive uh, another instrument made by um, a very famous builder in, in the Czech Republic called Paul McNulty. Mm -hmm. This makes number six a replica instrument of Forte Piano. Mm -hmm. 
oh, in Perth. Wow. So we have replicas of an instrument that Beethoven performed and, sorry, composed Moonlight on. So if you want to hear what that sounded like, we have two. We have three of those in Perth. Oh my gosh, that just gave me goosebumps. That's amazing. <laughs> We're about to receive the instrument that he composed Fleur Release on. Yep. Wow. Well, a copy, I should say, of the instrument he composed. So the idea of a replica mm-hmm. is to take the original instrument that has stored information and important information that we can no longer play because it's too old mm-hmm. or too valuable and too important. And this man is allowed to go through the collections in Europe yeah. and measure and then replicate. And as faithful as he possibly can, within reason, to materials and uh, the way that it was, uh, the philosophy and the way it was made. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. Harpsichords. We now have uh, a representation of the two of the greatest living harpsichord builders in the world, one in America called Keith Hill Mm -hmm. and one in Italy uh, called Bruce Kennedy. And we have one of each in Perth now. Amazing. Wow. I remember um, a few years back when um, Fazioli pianos mm. um, were kind of n- not new, but, you know, we were starting to see them around mm. Australia. Mm. You're one of the very few Fazioli trained technicians. Mm. Am I right in mm. still saying that? <laughs> what's, the, um, what's the process of becoming um, a Fazioli technician? And also, actually... I'm sure there is a lot of listeners that actually don't know what a Fazioli piano mm. is, so if you can just explain that. Well, trying not to sound like a ridiculous commercial for Perth <laughs> <laughs> or uh, commercialising it for a particular brand. Mm-hmm. Again, my interest and uh, passion has not been uh, favouring a particular sound or a particular brand. Mm-hmm. The idea of creating music is diversity, choice and range. If we only, as musicians, only ever learnt Bach, mm-hmm. uh, we'd all get as good as it is. <laughs> we'd probably get bored fairly quickly. <laughs> but this is applied to instrument making. In the last 50 years, it's only really been one predominant brand in most concert halls around the world. Now, this one predominant brand is a very, very, very fine piano and famous to everyone in it that would know the brand. But the issue is diversity of choice and soundscape. Mm -hmm. There needs to be alternatives to one sound. Um, Until the Second World War, there was many, many different brands of pianos that would be spread around concert halls around Europe. Um, Each city, each area would have its own unique sound. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're losing that now. Yeah. Um, I mean, the brand that you're talking about was Steinway. Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Um, And nothing against that at all. Mm. Um, Very, very fine piano, of course. You know, if you're looking for a concert piano, that's Mm. literally the brand that your mind instantly goes to. But my argument to venues Mm -hmm. and musicians is to um, broaden their ears. Having one brand only makes us, in my opinion, lazy players and lazy listeners. Mm -hmm. Because uh, each different brand will drive in a slightly different way, uh, as it always used to, and yeah. it always should. Um, <clears throat> so Fazioli has only been a piano company for just over 30 years now. Mm-hmm. And in those 30 years, um, he's made a massive impact worldwide, especially here in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, in, f- in fact, the majority of performance venues, with the exception of the Perth Concert Hall now, would offer a Fazioli as well as a Steinway Amazing. in both universities. Mm-hmm. So that was my argument. Not one's better than the other, mm-hmm. but actually supply and choice. Yeah. Yeah. And How to become... 
Sorry. Sorry, no. How would you say the sound sound differs from a fazioli to, for example, a Steinway? Um, I can't answer that because sound sound is a personal experience, mm-hmm. and your perception of what you expect a piano to play and sound like is mm-hmm. your, is your own choice. Yeah. And I don't agree with. It's a little bit like saying prove that Beethoven was a better composer than Brahms. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I can't get drawn into saying that one is a better sound than the other mm-hmm. um, or one piano is a better make than the other. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue. Uh, the issue, again, is diversity and choice. But I can say there is a difference <laughs> and viva la difference. Um, so Fazioli has a very clear sound, very cr- crystalline sound, um, very powerful sound mm-hmm. and also a very even sound. Yeah. Now, this doesn't make it right or wrong uh, or better than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Steinway, I would describe their sound as, as uh, a very full, very rich sound, um, but a very familiar sound. Mm. Um, and we can't also discount brands like Yamaha and Kawai and Beckstein and all sorts of other brands also that supply um, their own unique character of sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you trained with Fazioli. Yes. Yes. Now, how long were you training with them? I've gone backwards and forwards. In fact, I have been in the factory, I think, every year for the last 10 years Mm. for small periods of time um, of consulting. Uh, I've had the luxury and the honour of selecting most of the concert fatiolis in Western Australia, Mm -hmm. where I go along with the piano player or the head. of that particular department mm-hmm. to then select a piano. The most recent one was for the St George's Cathedral, mm-hmm. uh, where Mark Coglin went as the player, right. and uh, I went great. as a technician. Yep. Isn't he just a great person? It well? was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we were offered a choice of several instruments to choose from, each with its own unique character of voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so Mark applies and approaches that as a piano player to try and find the character of that voice and I approach it as a piano technician consulting for the venue Mm -hmm. so I have to answer for everyone who plays it and so I have to try and uh, help select an instrument that's going to appease the character of that sound to match the acoustic properties of that venue and the expectations of repertoire that's going to be used for it yeah yeah there's a lot that goes into it that, you know, where we really don't know um, on, you know, this, the audience side of things. There's so much that goes on before a performer steps onto stage. I wanted to ask you, what's the most memorable piano that you've ever tuned or played? Most memorable piano I've ever tuned? Um, I think that would be for who I tuned for, mm-hmm. uh, because that whole experience for me was just a little bit of a draw drop. I had the opportunity to work for Ray Charles. Amazing when he performed with Wazo for a Lewin concert. Yeah. And he was my hero as a, mm-hmm. you know, as a young person growing up listening to music. Yeah. So, again, to be a Perth boy and then have the opportunity to prepare an instrument that he was performing on mm-hmm. um, was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so that experience, I think, made a, a favourite that's mm-hmm. very hard to beat for me. Yeah. The most memorable piano would have to be recently where I had the opportunity to discreetly and quietly uh, touch and play the gold era that was made for Queen Victoria that lives in Buckingham Palace. Yes. That's, 
That's so amazing. <laughs> Definitely the prettiest looking piano I've yeah. seen. Yeah, um, so fully, fully gold. It's gold leaf yeah, with paint on top. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's just utterly exquisitely beautiful. Yeah. Sound wise, I think the piano that I, I loved playing the most was in a collection that's in Tunbridge Wells. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a forte piano uh, by a brand or maker called Rosenberg, which is hardly ever heard of. There's mm-hmm. only a handful. In fact, I don't even think there's a handful of those instruments left in the world. Right. Um, an exquisitely beautiful, warm, inviting sound. For me, a, a sound or playing a piano has to be at the point where your mum has to come drag you off at the end of it because it's time to go to bed or something like that. Yes. Um, so where we had lunch the other day um, at Mellow House in one of the state buildings in Perth, they have an interesting piano there. How would you describe that piano? Well, first of all, it belonged to somebody. That was an instrument that was uh, owned by Simon Gallagher, was um, a very famous Australian piano player who played a lot of lunchtime um, TV shows. Um, And so that was from the 80s, I think. And uh, it somehow ended up in Perth in different restaurants and venues. The company, I believe, I could be wrong, but the company that inherited these uh, venues and restaurants uh, were responsible for building and re or sorry, rebuilding um, and establishing Mellow House uh, in the state buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, It's crystal. Uh, So it's a Perspex instrument. Mm. Um, If you've never seen a crystal piano before, it's actually quite beautiful mm. if it's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I celebrate, again, Mm -hmm. difference in choice. Um, And we've become so accustomed to pianos in venues being boring and black. Mm -hmm. Boring to look at, that is. Yeah. Um, and the philosophy here of that wasn't so much about making it all about the piano player. Mm-hmm. In other words, ignoring the look of the piano, because yeah. this wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, early instruments were all about beauty. Yeah. Uh, harpsichords, clavichords, forte pianos were all about beauty. But that comes at a great expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cost of timbers and inlays and the people who can do that, and again, the paucity of people who can actually now do that, um, and so I celebrate something that we can look at that's just as beautiful to sound. Yeah. Um, a crystal piano or a see-through piano is one of personal taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that particular piano in Mellow House too has lights on the inside. Yes. Is it always blue? It's kind of like a blue. We can green. make it any colour you want. Oh, can you? So you can make <laughs> it rainbow. Mm. Wow. No, see, I was, you know, I used to wonder why a piano is all, almost always black. Mm. Mm. I mean... Occasionally you might get like a brown, like a woody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. finish, you mm-hmm. know, without the black finish mm-hmm. on top. And then, you know, you've got like the Elton John white piano. Um, have you seen any like really super bright colours, like pink or blue oh, pianos? Definitely. Or, yeah? Definitely. Where and in fact, it? it's coming back in. Is it? Yes. Okay. So I'm proud to say, or, or horrified to say, I don't <laughs> quite know, depending on your taste. Um, so on my travels, I've seen every colour under the rainbow. Um, most of the major makers, including Fazioli, yep. um, now make art series instruments ah. uh, where the cabinets, um, in fact, Fazioli has indeed made a gold piano uh, where it's uh, gold leaf inside and out. Inside and out. And uh, that's gone to, to Canada. Yep. Um, other brands will, will employ the services of uh, consultants, uh, architects, mm-hmm artists and designers to come up with concepts um, to make the piano look special again. Mm -hmm. A black piano was driven predominantly by economics. 
Okay. Because there's no veneer. In other words, it's just a, a stock standard colour black that hides everything else underneath. Mm. So it's purely based on economics and nothing else. Right. Has there ever been like a matte black yes. piano? Yes. Yes. Hmm. I'd like to see one of those. Mm. <laughs> um, now, with Fazioli pianos, I know that they were limiting production. Mm. Are they still doing that? Yes. Per year? So how yeah. many are they making per year? Well, it depends. Again, at the time of this recording, I mm -hmm. think they're still making somewhere around 120 pianos a year. They oh, only make right. grand pianos. Yeah. Uh, so they do not make upright pianos. Mm -hmm. uh, there's only one factory, uh, which is uh, just north of Venice. Mm -hmm. um, and that was selected for a number of reasons. The climatic, um, the prox proximity to timbers and mm. materials, supplies. Uh, the Fazioli name comes from a tradition of fine furniture making. Um, and he inherited the building from his grandfather. And uh, Mr. Fazioli was studying piano at the London Conservatorium. He then went on to study engineering. Um, and from what I understand, I could be wrong, he was more or less... Um, again wanting to drive a passion to find an alternative sound mm -hmm. um, there has to be more than one piano now on a mm -hmm. concert stage yeah. and I think his grandfather lopped off a little part of the factory and said just get it out of your system <laughs> and uh, now uh, all 30 years later um, uh, the factory is exquisitely beautiful mm -hmm. uh, and he makes exquisitely beautiful pianos yeah mm. wow yeah no if 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 anyone listening um you know, if you've got an opportunity to perform or play on one of those instruments, mm. they're absolutely beautiful. Mm. I love the sound. What makes it unique is you can still speak to Mr. Fazioli, the man who yeah, designed, yeah. made and owns the piano company. Mm -hmm. That, to my knowledge, only applies in modern pianos to three other companies. You can still speak to Mr. Kawai and I think you can still speak to Mr. Stein Graber. I wanted to ask you a bit of a funny question. Um, so there are some uh, more contemporary composers like Philip Glass and they do very um, experimental things with pianos. Um, what, have you ever um, prepared a piano with all the, you know, the bits missing or added in, mm. inside a piano? I'd have to change my name and move <laughs> planet if I admitted that I, as a piano technician, encouraged or helped people prepare pianos. Mm -hmm. Most piano technicians will fall onto the side of being extremely conservative mm -hmm. and usually say no yeah. and not encourage such um, behaviour. <laughs> um, but I, again, uh, I can't be hypocrite. I have to celebrate diversity in choice. Mm -hmm. And so just as there has to be diversity in piano sound, there has to be diversity in composition. And we have to celebrate just as much modern composition in the approach. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I've worked for Philip Glass. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I have assisted people who've prepared pianos. I'd rather be involved rather than having to pick up the pieces of a piano that doesn't work mm -hmm. after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's some golden rules, mm -hmm. um, so which I won't talk about here. But there okay. are some golden rules about how to properly prepare a piano yeah. that doesn't damage the instrument. Mm -hmm. um, and you can uh, destroy an instrument if it's not prepared properly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if anyone is trying to do this... <sighs> <laughs> My <laughs> advice, anyone to listening, mm -hmm. 
and if you're involved in a tertiary or a school mm-hmm. a situation and you are a composer or you're doing a performance with prepared piano, my advice always is to consult the technician who's responsible looking after the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, accept the choice if the no is no, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, that's just the way it is yeah. uh, and you just have to respect that. If the answer is yes, um, do so with the guidance of the responsible technician who's looking mm-hmm. after that venue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I've asked all of my questions as well as the random ones that just came up in this process. But um, thank you so much for having a chat to me, Paul. Um, sure. It's been a pleasure catching up again. Glad so I haven't seen you in a few yes. years. And hopefully after listening to this podcast as well, I'm hoping that... Um, you know, a lot more people really appreciate what mm. a piano technician does mm. for us. Um, even if you're not a pianist and if this is all completely new mm. for you, even better, you know, mm. now you know what goes on behind a piano. I'm sure if anyone's listening to this, as I do when I speak in um, different venues and schools and I lecture at both universities at different times, the same question always comes back and that is how can I be a piano technician like mm-hmm. you asked me when yes. you came to me all those years ago. Yeah. Uh, at the time of this recording I can't give you an answer mm-hmm. um, but my life has radically changed after I received my Churchill and so at the beginning of this year I've received a scholarship from the Vice-Chancellor of Edith Cowan University to undertake a Masters of Research. Mm-hmm. That Masters of Research is about the restoration process of what we allegedly call the First Fleet Piano. That is the piano that came out allegedly on the First Fleet to Australia in 1788. Mm -hmm. That's now part of a collection at West Australian Academy of Performing Arts along with 140 other historical keyboard instruments. Um, my process over the next over this year will be to document uh, the restoration process uh, of the first leap piano that's back in the UK mm-hmm. uh, being restored. Next year, I'll be surveying elite um, piano technicians, concert technicians, uh, makers mm-hmm. as well um, to try and find out the current thinking of piano restoration practice. Mm-hmm. And again, what that really means outside academic speak is I can hopefully, at the end of this process, answer the question to the next naughty (laughs) 10-year-old boy or girl who wants to come and say, I want to be a piano tuner. I can't give that answer yet because I don't know what the answer is. In time, I'm hoping that the potential is that we could actually establish something here in Perth. And I believe, and I've been encouraged by uh, experts already in Europe from the Muns, the people I interviewed in my Churchill Fellowship, that we have the opportunity and potential opportunity to save the piano's voice through technical skill in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to wait and see. It's just yeah. watch this space or listen yes. to this recording. Yeah, and I'm hoping that I can kind of spread the word a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I think we might have to have a follow-up um, podcast again. Sure. Yeah, once you've finished all of your research, hopefully you do find some definitive answers to um, a few of those questions that you have. It's definitely very interesting. Um, you know, the fact that you can travel everywhere and just, you know, find all these stories out. That's the theme of my podcast is, you know, I go travel and I um, collect stories. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. And so if you're interested um, in finding out what Paul looks like, I'll probably post up a picture on my Instagram. You can go to the Travelling Music Therapist. Yeah, find me there. Thanks for listening. Thank you.